Hello and welcome to Spy Hards Podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies. And we're back with another declassified special for everyone. For those who don't know the declassified specials, we basically take a film, uh, a new film that's out, which we'll introduce in a minute, and we give our fresh hot takes on the film. We won't talk about the knock list and we won't really go too much about the information behind the scenes of the film, more just a general analysis of the film. But without further ado, I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, what film are we declassifying this week? We are going to talk about Without Remorse, or as it's perhaps better known, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. That's a question I had. Is it the whole four words or is it just Without Remorse? Because I'm seeing both. Yeah, my guess is it's going to be referred to as Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, like everywhere for the next little while. And then when, mm. when you look it up on IMDb in like seven years, it'll just be called Without Remorse. The sort of Remo Williams effect, basically. Yeah, it tends to happen, I found, with uh, old Wes, Cra- uh, Wes Craven movies. At the time, they were called like Wes Craven Presents They. And now if you look it up, it's just called They. They don't use the Wes Craven Presents anymore. But it is actually a continuity thing with these games and books as well. All the video games are Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. So I kind of understand why they're keeping that title. And plus, it's like a recognizable brand at this point. Well, I mean, you got to admit, Without Remorse is a super generic title. Like throwing Tom Clancy on there gives it brand awareness at a time where every movie studio wants brand awareness. But to be fair, they are using the title of a book that's loosely used to inspire this film. Very loosely from what I've read. I'm not sure they read the book. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, nor have I. (laughs) I've read it so many times. It's one of my favorite books. It sits on the shelf right next to Little Drummer Girl. (laughs) Isn't that under your pillow somewhere? Yeah, that too. (laughs) I have multiple copies. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, I suppose we'll give a quick overview of the film, a little bit of background on it, and sort of a, a quick synopsis to set you up. I would recommend catching the film if you can before uh, listening to this episode, because we will talk about spoilers. You can find it now on Amazon Prime Video as of the day of release of this episode, which will be the 30th of April 2021. So basically, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse is based on a 1993 Tom Clancy novel. And originally it was actually meant to come out in the cinemas last year, but because of the pandemic, it got all sort of shifted around. And I think now it's found its home on Prime Video. Yeah, they bounced release dates for this one quite a few times. Um, It was supposed to be like September and then October. And yeah, it took quite a while for them to find a home for this. I'm a big uh, fan of these films coming out on streaming services. I'm not a big fan of them going behind pay windows i think if it comes to prime or disney plus it should just be there for you yeah i can't stand the 32 dollar you know exclusive early access version where they drop it and if you want to watch it you have to pay an insane amount of money for a rental it's not my favorite thing in the world for sure no and and to be fair and thank you to uh amazon prime video uh, they gave us a screener copy so we could put this out on day of release as well um so basically the idea of the story is this character of john clark that is played by michael b jordan who people will recognize from uh, black panther and the creed films as well the sort of sequel films to rocky um he's playing this john clark character who's a navy seal and he goes on the warpath to avenge his wife's murder only to find himself inside a larger conspiracy 
There's always a bigger conspiracy. Every time. There's always a bigger fish. <laughs> um, but that's sort of how this film, the brief of how this film came to be, obviously. It did try and come out, but the pandemic stopped that. So now it's arriving on our screens at home. Um, but Cam, initial thoughts. What do you think about the film? Well, let me just say up front. I really like Michael B. Jordan. He's an actor who really caught my attention early on in the movie Chronicle. Uh, he had a supporting role in that. Very strong. And it's been exciting to watch him. Um, and, you know, for, um, you know, you've had, uh, you've had Creed, which I thought was fantastic. There was, you know, the odd misstep like Fantastic Four, where he's still the best thing in the movie, where he actually acted opposite Jamie Bell, um, reteamed here. Do you think they talked a lot about Fantastic Four on the set of this movie? My guess is no. But <laughs> nonetheless, um, I, I really enjoyed the work of Michael B. Jordan. I think he has huge potential for the future. Um, also, this movie was written by, or co-written, I should say, by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Wind River, um, uh, Hell or High Water, um Sicario he's someone whose work I very much admired so the idea of these two you know talents working together was exciting for me um so I watched the movie last night and uh I I'm kind of baffled by it to be honest with you in that you have a very specific writer who I think ha leaves his stamp on everything he's written and to me this felt just so generic and that I was really kind of bowled over and that I actually made notes in the first five minutes and I pretty much had the movie pinned down. Like I, I there was no surprise to the, anything that happened. I knew exactly what was going to happen throughout the course of the movie. Actors were introduced and I said, okay, I know who this person actually is and made a note of it. And I was correct. And, and I just found it, it, it feels like the movie, like perfect for the streaming age. It's actually kind of a surprise for me um, that it wound up on, um, you know, streaming only because of the pandemic. Like it feels like the type of movie that you would see on Netflix, kind of like the action stuff they put out there, like Extraction, um, where it has that kind of like, it's a, an upgrade from what you would call your straight to, straight to video action movies. Um, you know, more money obviously being thrown at it, bigger stars. But in terms of the storytelling, it just feels very rote to me. And so I, I found it, not the most engaging and when we're and we'll talk about it in a little bit but this is kind of considered the kickoff to what could be a franchise and it didn't seem like a very confident kickoff to me but i'm really curious what did you think funnily enough usually we we are in sync more or less with our opinions on films this one i actually somewhat enjoyed i i'm not particularly down on the film oh, okay uh, anyway, we've been saying since the beginning i come at these films with more of a, a taste for popcorn action blockbuster films and I feel that this is a bit closer to what I look for in that sort of film. You compare to our first declassified episode, which was The Courier uh, with Bandit Cumberbatch, which is a spy thriller. This is more of a spy adjacent action film. And I think on the, the action was great. I think Michael B. Jordan delivered on that sense. Okay, the story wasn't that deep. And you could pick up a lot of the, the plot quite early on. But it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it for what it was. Um, I think it was quite a well-paced film. I, I, I followed it through, and I think it. Um, I think on the strength of the acting alone from Michael B. Jordan, I was I was carried through. I mean, he is essential because I felt like there was no other characters I could ever really care about, except for one who I'll talk about. But this was very much hung on his shoulders, and the guy has charisma to spare. 
I mean, even in Fantastic Four, the reboot, one of the worst movies to ever show up on big, you know, the big screen in the last couple of decades, um, he is a charisma machine. It, like he totally is working as the Human Torch there. And here, I mean, I, I don't know who this character is. He has no defining personality traits. So you're depending entirely on uh, Michael B. Jordan to carry you through. And he does that. I mean, um, they make no attempt to hide that this man is a physical specimen. Every chance they get, he's like stripping down and rubbing water on himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a lot of fistfights showing off his physicality. I mean, he brings it and he's entirely believable in the action sequences. I just was kind of surprised there's not that much action really in it. <laughs> it's not like a like a Paul Greengrass Bourne film in that sense, where there's these big action set pieces that you remember. There are bits and bobs. And I remember the the sort of the attempted extraction slash suicide of one of the baddies in the film. Mm-hmm. That that's quite a long with uh, sort of drawn out set piece that has some quite cool moments, especially when they're all pinned down from the snipers. I quite enjoyed that. Um, so I think the action w- was quite good. And and to be fair to Michael B. Jordan, if I looked like that, I would be walking around shirtless most of the time, rubbing water on myself, as I am now. <laughs> but you're always doing that, even when we're reviewing, like, Remo Williams. <laughs> <laughs> For different reasons altogether. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like, the action that is there is fairly well shot. It was directed by Stefano Salima, who directed Sicario Day of Soldado, which was the sequel to Sicario. And that movie was also, I believe, written or co-written by Taylor Sheridan. Uh, so obviously these two reteaming makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, you get these like brief high impact fighting moments where, you know, it's kind of the sort of thing you would see in Extraction where it's, you know, the hand to, you know, knives flying or, you know, fist fights. And it has that sort of tense, really um, uh, intense feel to it. And it, it does work in that respect for sure. I think one of the things this film hinges on is is that sort of realism approach yeah that the tom clancy novels and the games from well definitely i know the games somewhat well enough to say this that they try to stay real to reality so the fight and uh the fight scenes and the sort of shooting scenes are all based on realistic tactics i imagine the seals would use um which may not translate particularly well to films because it's not particularly flashy it's not you know jason Bourne jumping off a building off of a cable shooting guy with one hand and all kinds of craziness or you know diving downstairs Mm -hmm. but um i think some people would like the the realistic feel it doesn't feel too crazy and maybe it grounds it a little bit i just wonder though if you like hand this to an audience that watched extraction recently this feels not that interesting when you consider like the elevated stakes for what we are getting in action movies now. And I wasn't a fan of extraction particularly, so I'm not going to hang that one up in the air as a, you know, a movie we should all aspire to be. But I would say like the action uh, filming of that, of that movie is very, very strong. Yeah. I I remember more about the action in that film than I do about Chris Hemsworth's character. True. That seems to be a trend I'm finding increasingly disturbing. It's funny because like, it almost feels a little bit of that, offshoot of the Taken films you know there's not, not so much Taken but the movies that Taken led to where Liam Neeson was showing up in all these different action movies and the whole thing was it's Liam Neeson he's playing Liam Neeson essentially like he's not really a character and I think that's one thing when you have like a really specific kind of quirky actor but in sort of some of these movies like Michael B. Jordan is someone who 
you write him a role, he's going to be just incredible. But I don't know that like there's novelty to just seeing him in an action movie, especially one that for me was very by the numbers, inc- like p- almost painfully by the numbers. I I don't know. I, I I'm not sure I'm on the same page again with that one. I think seeing Michael B. Jordan in this environment is not something I've seen before. I've seen him as a superhero. I've seen him as a, a boxing person. <laughs> that's what they're called. <laughs> yep, that's what they're called. Um, and, you know, but in this sort of army style thing, I'm not seeing it before. I think he does it quite well. And I think he is definitely the emotional core of this film. So I invested in him and I think that's what got me through it. Um, and I think that's where I struggled with something like Extraction. Sure. At least I, did, I, I didn't have Michael B. Jordan. I think at least his character's motivation, which is basically it's a revenge film, more or less, um, is quite a strong one to start off with. It's kind of like how John Wick starts it. Same thing. Yeah, no, that's John Wick's another good example to bring up, actually. It feels like a lot of these movies are trying to also kind of ape that John Wick style, where you do have far better shot action than you had in movies like Taken or some of the other movies around that time period. Um, they've really raised the bar, you know, really post, you know, movies like The Raid, for example, then leading into John Wick's and what have you. Um, yeah, no, so I am a fan of that high impact style of action, but just this one, I just found like everything that they were setting up didn't work for me because everything was written to be so like, just kind of flat. Like everything people said was very generic. No one had interesting dialogue, the romance that, you know, kicks off the tragedy that propels the main actor. It's basically characters being like, I love you. I love you too. You know, it, it's just like very, like, it didn't feel like there was any real personality to it. It's that's what I found really tough to struggle with throughout this entire movie was like, boy, uh, it's like a movie from 1993 that just somehow disappeared and has reemerged. What I, I, I struggle to think what you say to your better halves. Is it, do you not say I love you? Do you have some sort of magic thing you say? You, it's like any, that's the, like the laziest writing possible. It's just have characters say the most like insipid romantic dialogue and be like, see, they're in love. Like, that's it. There was nothing. To, and it's not just tied to the romance. It's throughout the entire movie. Like, no one really has anything interesting to say throughout the whole film. It's very strange, which, again, I don't get how this came from a writer like Taylor Sheridan. Like, it was co-written also by Will Staples, who wrote multiple video games, including the call, one of the Call of Duty games. And it feels like video game dialogue to me sometimes. Well, I mean, that's a point I do actually want to get onto in a little bit. Um, but I, I will say I've been sort of defending this film and I, I think it is an interesting film and I think it has some good elements to it and I think Michael B. Jordan is clearly a star but one thing I had a problem with was basically everyone else mm. except for Jamie Bell who I think deserves a, a tip of the hat as well ding 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 that's the one I was thinking of also when I said someone else worked and I like that I made a ding 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 in reference to someone whose last name is Bell and of course Michael B. Jordan was uh, Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Boxing connection. A classic boxing person movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live that one down. Um, <laughs> no, Jamie Bell was uh, great. I mean, I actually, to be fair, for a long time, I thought he was one of the bad guys. Um, really? That, I yeah. made a note. My third note is Jamie Bell is a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> because the movie was pounding me over the head with a bat saying, this guy's the worst. Isn't he awful? He's totally the villain. Yeah, but if you're saying this film is not particularly clever, then you're also saying it's clever enough to do that. 
No, that's the laziest excuse in the book. Red herring, you constantly beat the audience over the head that it's a red herring. Okay, folks, and this is why I'm the idiot of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Not necessarily. P- people may be agreeing with you right now. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, by the time that they have gone to... I can't remember where they're extracting the guy from. I think, oh, is it Syria. It's Syria, it's, right, okay. Yeah. Um, when they're extracting the guy, I kind of thought, okay, Jamie Bell was, was, was coming on side. But in the beginning, I thought he was one of the big bads. Um, and he's quite an interesting character. And by the end... And we'll get to setups and other things at the end of the film, towards the end of this podcast. Um, that's quite interesting as well. But other than Jamie Bell and Michael B. Jordan, I couldn't tell you a single other character's name or why they were in the film at all. Well, yeah, because we should note Jodie Turner-Smith shows up in this movie. Uh, I think she has second billing in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she was in the movie Queen and Slim. She's someone who's very much an emerging talent. Um Boy, I, I really struggle for things to say about her character. It feels like the kind of the character who's in the office to kind of get the information to give to the audience about what's going on with the situation a lot of the time. Uh, probably would have paid off in a sequel, I guess, this this character more so. Um, but Jamie Bell, yeah. Um, Jamie Bell is just one of those actors, you put him in any kind of character role and he's going to bring something to it. He's playing a CIA guy. He is our connection for Spyhards. So um you know, we stand for Jamie Bell, at least in regards to this film. Um, and uh, he brings personality to it. Like, he's actually got some, you know, kind of a sleazy vibe to him. I liked seeing what he would do scene to scene. Like, he felt like, whereas a lot of the actors were playing this stuff very straight, uh, it felt like he was at least approaching it from a character actor point of view of, I'm going to do something kind of weird. Yeah, absolutely. And his performances sort of stand out in the scenes that he is in. Um, I mean, with Jodie Turner-Smith's character, I, I feel bad for the the actor in that sense because I'm not sure it was to do with her performance. I think it was the character on the page. She mm-hmm. has nothing to really do. I mean, they've they've created the character. I don't think that's in the books, but you know, please let me know if I'm wrong, guys. Um, and she's the first U.S. female Navy SEAL. They've never actually had one in reality. Yeah. That's kind of a big thing. And yet she's reserved to just being this sort of telling Michael B. Jordan off and and just sort of being there in the action scenes whilst he's doing all the action, whereas she should be, she should have her own agency, but she doesn't. And he's also the character who figures everything out. Um, so that is also kind of the problem and that everyone kind of will snap at him because he's doing things that aren't by the book, but ultimately he's right. So, and a lot of this feels almost like, I know the, the original book without remorse, I think it was like 1993 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yep. was in the 90s. Yeah. And it feels like a 1990s like um, action story, like in terms of this character, like this feels like the sort of thing you get from those kind of dad airport novels. Now, I have nothing against da- uh, dad airport novels. I was all about the Clive Custler Dirk Pitt adventures back in the day. Tom Clancy wasn't really my thing, but uh I get it, but this character very much feels like a throwback to that sort of thing. Yeah, and then we've also got Guy Pearce, who is a great actor in, in, in many of the projects he's been in, but he is turns out to be the big bad. Um, originally working for, I think, the US Navy, Navy maybe? Uh, Secretary of Defense. Oh, he's Secretary of Defense. See? Great. Didn't even pick up on that. But um, he's just kind of there. Yeah, um, he's one of those actors that when you cast him in a role that's non-specific and vaguely 
vaguely supportive of your main character, watch out. Well, I mean, his first name is Guy. Mm, so that's true. That's true. It's a pretty, pretty generic name, pretty generic guy. Guy Pierce is an actor who will often really bring it mm. in like a kind of a villainous role. I think of he's a lot of fun in Iron Man 3. He's a lot of fun, actually. Maybe not so much fun as disturbing, but the movie Lawless, which was the uh, Depression era um, gangster film. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was in it as well as Tom Hardy. And Guy Pierce shows up as the villain in that. And he's very memorable. Probably the best thing in the movie. Um, Guy Pierce, he's here. Like, it just feels like they were like, we need a Guy Pierce type. And Guy Pierce was like, I'm a Guy Pierce type. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm free. Yeah. Oh, I'm Guy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, he's also Memento. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that's That's the one I go to in my head. But then after looking at the IMDb after that, I just see a bunch of names that I don't remember who they were i mean a lot of them were just like soldiers in the team and like one that was i think maybe notable not because of anything he did in this movie but cam gigande shows up in this film and he was someone who was kind of marked to be a leading man back in the day he was in the first twilight he was uh the star of a movie called never back down which is a martial arts film so i kind of had expectations he would do something in this movie uh, not because I'm a huge fan of his work, but just because I assume when I see his name, okay, he probably has at least some sort of notable supporting role. Um, nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Yeah, another actor I would shout out to is Marab Nanitschi from, uh, which we were talking about in The Courier recently as well. He was sort of the co-star with Benedict Cumberbatch in that. Uh, he makes a brief appearance as a as a Russian, mm. uh, which seems to be his speciality. But uh, yeah, nice to see him. Yeah, yeah. And he gets to factor into one of the movie's best scenes. Like, I feel like everything I enjoyed about this movie was tied more so to when Michael B. Jordan's character has recovered um, from the attack that's killed his wife. Um, he doesn't spend a lot of time really um, mourning that attack, really. He's over it kind of quickly. But um, you don't get, like, the gravitas. He's a man on a mission, Cam. He is a, man, a on man, a man on a mission. You don't get, like, the gravitas and the weight you do in some of these other movies that have the same sort of material. But um, um, it's when he's kind of gone rogue, people don't know what he's doing. That's when I thought the movie was actually kind of keeping my attention was, uh, you know, the scene where he locks himself in, like, a burning car with, you know, the actor you just named from The Courier. Um really great there and he's like doused himself in like alcohol at a certain point to fool police officers into thinking he's a drunk it was those kind of tactics i found more fun and there's a prison fight we can talk about in a second too but um no like i thought the burning car scene was really strong which i think just leads back to where we started which is michael b jordan again carrying the film and it's his physicality in those scenes that i think really shines you know i watched some behind the scenes stuff and that uh that burning car that was a real burning car he stepped into. Yeah, I can buy that. It looked it looked fairly real. Um, and then got out again. And he had to slowly get out as the police were drawing their guns on him. So like he said, his whole back was like burning up. Hmm. He clearly commits to the role. Yeah. Physically. Um, and so that's great. And yeah, you mentioned the, the prison scene. Again, he has to go, you know, mano a mano with a bunch of riot uh, police officers. And that looks great. He's clearly a capable soldier. And you buy that. Yeah, I mean, when he like wraps his fist in the, the towel and is dousing himself with the water, and it, it's a really strong action moment. And I mean, we've seen a ton of prison fights in movies, but I thought this one did stand out as being a little bit unique, which I wouldn't say for a lot of the other action in the movie, but it felt like they were kind of doing something a little bit interesting here. 
And I liked when he's holding the guy hostage in the cell, like moments like that. He he reminded me a lot of um, sort of Jason Bourne in the sense that he's always two steps ahead of his enemy. Yeah. So you say the the riot, uh, the prison scene. You know, he's he's throwing water over himself, throwing it on the floor as well, so it makes the floor slippery. The guards can't get to him. It's just clever. He's thinking about these situations and he's outsmarting his enemies. And that is basically the story throughout the film. He's ahead of everyone. Yeah. You know, overcomes his obstacles. But, you know, but that sort of leads us to the, the end of the film where he um, susses out that Guy Pierce's character is the bad guy. Uh, he orchestrated the assassination of his fellow soldiers and eventually his wife, played by Lauren London. And unfortunately, the you know, mother of his unborn child as well, which is what, you know, propels him throughout the film. And you get quite a cool scene of them both potentially drowning and then he's obviously saved because they're setting up for a sequel a lot of underwater stuff in this movie um he's also swimming in a submerged plane at one point and then yeah here underneath the after he drives off the bridge with guy pierce um what did you think of though leading into that like this we have this whole action sequence um in basically a dilapidated building in russia um with involving snipers it's it seemed like a i felt like it, it was very abrupt going from that sequence which i i didn't think was particularly impressive to the sequence with him grabbing guy pierce like it felt like we were cutting scenes out to like cut to the point i liked the the squad versus the snipers when they were pinned down I thought that was yeah that was good teamwork. They overcame their obstacles working together. I thought that was quite cool to see. Uh, not that I particularly cared about any other members of the team apart from the two that we know the names of. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know whatever. But after that, he goes sort of he just becomes a machine and just just destroying people and ends up you know blowing up a he causes a distraction to allow his team to get out basically. Um, and then he's taking on the whole army. Yeah, himself. Um, and I kind of lose it a little bit there because it seems a little bit like a stretch. Um, and I can't really remember anything apart from that. And he kind of steals the car and drives off. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then it's like, we just cut to him grabbing Guy Pierce in a bathroom. And I was like, holy geez, this almost feels like a reshot ending. I didn't get that impression. Cause I, I think I'm trying to think, was there some sort of Intel they sussed out that gave him a clue? It was Guy Pierce's character. I believe so. Yeah, it's. I think it was the conversation with Jamie Bell. Yes. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I think it. I, I do think it was quite a. Well, one thing I wrote down weirdly is that the ending felt quite protracted. Um, are you talking about the scene with Guy Pierce? Well, it, I, 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 in my notes, I compared it to Casino Royale. Yeah. Which is not necessarily in terms of a quality level, but just Casino Royale. It feels like it ends at one point. And then it has this like coda section in Venice. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like um, this movie is building towards a, a recognizable name franchise. And it, that's when it does the work is basically at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't mind that action sequence. And you, you also mentioned before, quickly just going back to it, the, uh, the scene on the airplane when they're underwater. That was another practical stage affected they put a lot of money into that too and i think that looked great yeah it was all right i don't know at that point you kind of had the dark murky cinematography which 
I always find kind of removes me from the like the impact. Like the burning car is very clearly shot, but when you get to kind of these dilapidated buildings that look really murky and so a lot of this underwater stuff, it, it doesn't look particularly visually dynamic. No, I can see where you come from with that. I, I suppose again, it's this film trying to go more towards the realism. Sure. Like they had no light, you couldn't see that much. I mean, sure, you would like to light it better so you could see it, but in reality, you wouldn't. Much like the the fight with the snipers was quite bare bones, but that was realistic, I suppose. I guess. And I think that might be what fans of of Tom Clancy's work come to his work for. Quite possible, but I don't know. Like, I read the synopsis for this book and none of the books in this movie, so I don't know. Is that what Tom Clancy fans want? (laughs) I don't have a clue. (laughs) We'll find out. Um... But you, you've so you were just speaking about this as well. So there's a there's a mid credits sort of bonus scene in this film, um, and that is supposed to set up the sequel. Michael B. Jordan did announce that this was a two picture deal, mm-hmm. um, with a view of doing a Rainbow Six film as a follow up, which is another Tom Clancy novel, and also uh, quite a few games are based off of the Rainbow Six team. Yeah, uh, and so this post this mid credits scene. He basically says he wants to start a team called Rainbow, uh, which is not the greatest name for a team in my book. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really strike fear into your enemy's heart. It's not like, you know, Spectre or Zowie. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's Rainbow. But yeah, what did you think about that, Cam? This felt like the sort of thing you see in movies like uh, well, you know, it all comes from Marvel, right? Because Marvel had, of course, the Avengers Initiative with Nick Fury. And that has um, led to credit scenes that are both uh, great and leave the audience really excited. And some really groan-inducing ones. I think of like the Amazing Spider-Man films or um, The Mummy, where you had the setup for the uh, Dark Universe stuff, where it's like really like poorly put together and they just feel like, kind of desperate like they have that that kind of whiff of like please god come to our next movie kind of feel to it and we're gonna give you what you wanted the first time around in the next movie yeah i i i had this problem before i i don't know what film we were talking about but i don't like it when films spend too much time setting up the next film i think a film should be more mostly self-contained well you don't want to um depend on the sequel like you don't want your the strength of your first movie to depend on there being a sequel, and this feels like it isn't a finished story almost in a in a way. No, no, like we don't really know that much about our protagonist whatsoever, and I, I think it would make more sense if he was building the team in the first movie because so what the next movie I, I'm assuming that Jody Turner Smith would be on the team in the next one. But beyond that, uh, I guess maybe Jamie Bell's there in some capacity. But um, yeah, like, it's like, okay. So like, I don't know a lot about the world of Tom Clancy. Um, I've seen all of the Jack Ryan films. Uh, I never read any of his books. Um, And I did play the Rainbow Six video game. I remember my friend and I uh, rented it and we had a blast with it because there was a grenade setting. So if you drop grenades, your character would yell fire in the hole. And we kept accidentally setting off the grenades and we would just hear characters yell fire in the hole and then we'd have to run everywhere. It was a great night. We had nothing but fun playing that game. But Rainbow Six actually kind of means something to me. So when you gave me this film, which really didn't mean anything to me whatsoever, and you end it with a character saying, you know, I'm going to call it Rainbow. I'm like, oh, I know what that means. Like, I actually understand what Rainbow Six is. 
perhaps if you'd called this movie Rainbow Six, it would be more exciting to people. But it doesn't that also work the other way around, like the Star Trek Into Darkness Khan thing? Like, if you don't know what Rainbow Six is, yeah, like I'm gonna start Rainbow Crickets. Well, it's true, but it feels like you want this movie to suck people in so much and invest them in this character that they want to see the next one. Like, they want to see him form Rainbow Six. And I don't think it did a very good job at doing that for me. No, I, I think that's, that is my main problem with the film, is it is trying to set up a sequel, and it isn't very successful at that. I didn't actually mind the film as a piece. The bits that weren't about sequel baiting, I quite enjoyed. And, of course, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character. Um, did you think this film just felt like a video game? In parts, yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, I could, I could see this as being a video game, more or less sequence to sequence, like shooting scene and then talking exposition cut scene and then shoot some more people. Uh, maybe that's partly what, by design. Well, I don't think you hire a writer known for writing video games if that's not a little bit of what you want to bring to it, I guess. But yeah, I think overall, I don't know if the sequel baiting really worked. And I think it would leave a lot of people confused if you don't know what Rainbow Six is, which, you know, I've played video games and I run a spy movie podcast, so hmm. I should probably have an idea what Rainbow Six is. Well, here's the question, actually. How many people do you think see that credit scene? This is not a Marvel movie. Well, this is not a movie like or a DC movie where people are going to be sitting through those credits waiting for that stinger. Well, do you think it's important to see it? Um, I think anyone who cares about this world is going to get something out of that stinger. Mm. Well, uh, you know, a little behind the scenes information. I didn't know there was one until you text me about it. Yeah. So I wouldn't have stuck around. I, I don't, I don't really like these post credit sequences. Mm -hmm. I kind of like to leave the cinema as quickly as I can to get away from the people. Um, <laughs> Even at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> straight out the front door i'm gone um yeah so i i wouldn't have stuck around so maybe a lot of people would miss it yeah i thought i thought it was an odd choice to not just work it into the ending of the film organically um i, I don't know i i really like I, I really don't know what the decision making was there i don't know what the decision making was for a lot of this to be honest with you just in terms of you know like uh it's one thing to make a very you know meat and potatoes just action movie um put it out there and people show up or they don't. It's another thing to make one that is also teasing in scenes that people would probably miss something that is a much bigger property that people are at least, they may not know what it is, but I think a lot of people have just heard the term rainbow six. They've probably seen the books in a, you know, on the shelf at the grocery store or something. They've seen the video games, you know, when they walk it through Best Buy. I just feel like the name Rainbow Six rings out to people a little more. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I know that more than I know without remorse, mm -hmm. which is a book. And, you know, John Kelly is a character that has been in loads of Tom Clancy novels, apparently. And even in some of the Jack Ryan films, he's been played twice before. Yeah this character um, by Willem Dafoe and Leif Schreiber in, in separate films. So this character is known to people. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess we'll find out what the response to this movie is when it actually comes out. But I don't know. For me, it was just kind of a, a whiff because, you know, we haven't covered the um, Jack Ryan films on the podcast yet. But like, I feel like they aspired to be a little more. Uh, maybe not so much uh, the Chris Pine one. 
but I feel like the Jack Ryan films had a little more of an event feel to them and they had a little more prestige going for them than what this is really aspiring for. Yeah, I think in, in summary for me, I would say there is elements to enjoy about the film. I think uh, Michael B. Jordan's performance is, is great. Uh, you get to see him really in a physical performance and, you know, to see what he can do outside of the ring yeah, uh, and superheroes and things like that, uh, which, which is cool to see. And I think there are some nice set pieces like the, the flaming car and the uh, airplane crash. But overall, I think the film wanted it to almost be like a prelude to the main event, mm. which is the Rainbow Six film. But it didn't do anything to make me interested in seeing the Rainbow Six film. Yeah, yeah. And, and I second, like Michael B. Jordan makes anything watchable. Uh, except for Fantastic Four. Even his mighty powers couldn't conquer that one, but this is no Fantastic Four. But uh, I, I, I always am excited to see him in something. I was just a little bummed that this was kind of the project that he had, you know, that was the next one coming out. I would like to see Michael B. Jordan give me something a little more exciting that at least delivers something that I respond to, but hopefully other people respond to it more. Yeah, I agree. And if you like, you know, uh, realism in your action films and uh, you like a little bit of espionage and a little bit of intrigue and you like michael b jordan then i say check out without remorse there you have it there you have it um so again thank you for joining us on this declassified episode you can of course find without remorse on amazon prime video available from today so tune in next week for our next main film which is the fritz lang spy thriller ministry of fear and don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram we are of course a proud member of the qtt podcast network until next week listeners good luck among the shadows <laughs>